Turned on it. High drive into left field. Gone into the White Sox bullpen. Burned on it. Swing and a miss. Strike three, and this one's over. Sox win. Sox win. In time, and the White Sox have won the ball game. Eloy, ground ball, base hit to right field. The White Sox are going to take an early lead. Anderson will score. RBI single, Eloy Jimenez. And McCann drives one of the air to right center field. That's going to get down. Base hit. Maybe extra bases. Grandall will score easily. Anderson hits one in the air to left field. Chasing back is Rosario. Track, wall, and it is gone. This is White Sox Weekly. Yes! The Chicago baseball conversation on the flagship home of the Sox. 720 WGN. High fly ball in the left field. Back it up on that one, Rosario. Track, wall, gone. Into the bullpen. James McCann. That's a high fly ball into deep left field. Fair or foul? That's the only question right now. Fair, gone. Home run, Encarnacion. And the first one, he swings and hits a high fly ball. Luis Robert, he's there. He's got it. It's playoff time for the Chicago White Sox. Here's Mark Carmen. Playoff time. Indeed. Welcome in White Sox Weekly with you till 5.30. Your playoff bound Chicago White Sox. How sweet is that? Getting it done on Thursday, beating Minnesota 4-3, to taking three out of four. Eloy Jimenez coming through with the big double. And the White Sox having a season sure it was not pretty last night except in the broadcast booth which was just amazing I don't know who was doing color commentary alongside Andy Mazur last night but that guy was incredible just so well informed and entertaining and he will not be there today as Darren Jackson will be back in that seat Uh, no I got to sit in last night it was a really a dream come true for me grew up in this city Never expecting to get to that level where you actually get to call a baseball game of a kid that you grew up watching. That was just, it was a lot, a lot of fun. Even even in the middle of a pandemic when the team is on the road and you're sitting at Guaranteed Rate Field and there's six people in the ballpark and I'm looking at Andy Mazur and Ricardo Benincourt all night. It was a surreal experience. And unfortunately, the White Sox, I think, had a little bit of a. Let down, you just clinched the division, now you're back on the road, and you're three games up, and I guess the biggest reason last night, Jonathan Stever on the mound, who, you're asking an awful lot for a guy who started last year at Kannapolis, then got bumped up to Winston-Salem, and now all of a sudden he's pitching in a pennant race, which uh, the White Sox did lower their magic number to five last night as the Cubs beat Minnesota one to nothing. What's up, Ernie Scadden? And... Hopefully today the White Sox can help themselves and get a win, although they're facing a very tough pitcher in Cincinnati and a red-hot Cincinnati team. The Reds are eyeing the playoffs. They've won six in a row. Trevor Bauer's going today. Not going to be easy, but very interesting with Dallas Keuchel on the bump. And hopefully he will settle right back into that rotation because you do want to get guys getting back to the level that they're capable of going into the playoffs. I'm speaking specifically, now Dallas has been hurt, so I don't know exactly where he's at, but coming back, you're always concerned, how's he going to look? Is he going to be able to stay healthy? How's the back feeling? You don't really know until he gets out of the mound and, on the mound and goes through it. But guys like Luis Robert, who's in an extended slump right now and has expanded his strike zone, can he find his footing, so to speak, and get back going, being the impact 
rookie of the year center fielder at the plate in the field this week and into the playoffs. I think that's huge. Can Yohan Moncada find his next level? Because if you had those two going, along with Eloy coming through, along with MVP candidates Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson, along with Nick Madrigal, Nick Madrigal, let me give him a bit of love for one second. He came up and he started, what was it, 0 for 8 to start his big league career. And I'm looking at him. You ready to be here? You sure? Because the rhetoric from Nick was he was incredibly disappointed in spring training when he was told he was going to Schaumburg. He walked out of Ricky Renteria's office, didn't say a word, and Ricky's like, whoa, this guy is kind of something here. Not, Not being really nice to his manager, just straight up upset and thinks he belongs. And Ricky liked it, and I liked it, and I think any White Sox fan would like that. And then he gets up here, though, and you're thinking, oh, well, maybe you're not ready. And then he just starts hitting. And now, in Tim Anderson's the White Sox leadoff hitter all day and twice on Sunday, but he was in the he was hitting leadoff last night. Pitches up by his nose, and he's hitting it into right field. Pitches off the plate, and he's making contact. Nick Madrigal has proven in a very short period of time that he belongs right in the middle of that lineup, and in the middle of that lineup, even though it's ninth, you, you get what I'm saying. And every day, second baseman who could hit at the top or hit at the bottom, have you give you that double leadoff guy? I've been very, very impressed. I think we all have. Three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. I don't know if you saw last night either, but when Garrett Crochet made his big league debut, straight from college. Pitched all of three and a third innings for the University of Tennessee this year before the pandemic started. And the White Sox, because he was coming off some shoulder discomfort, perhaps got a chance to draft him when if he had pitched a full college season, he might have been, say, a top five pick. Instead, he fell to 11. And the White Sox picked him knowing that, hey, this guy long-term, we like him as a starter. But in 2020... He could help us out of the bullpen, throwing 100 miles an hour from the left side. Might That might work out. Well, we saw it last night, and it was he was pumping strikes. 100, 101 miles an hour, no problem. This is a game changer in my mind. I don't know how much work you can really give a guy straight from college who hasn't built himself up but has been pitching at Schaumburg, the White Sox alternate alternate site. But you're looking for help in that bullpen. Aaron Bummer hopefully will be back. We don't know. Cody Hoyer's looking like a viable late-inning candidate as well. But the more impact arms you have in the bullpen come playoff time, that's huge. And so we're going to get a week to see if he can actually continue his success and build on what he did last night. But that was, if you saw the game, you know what I'm talking about. Garrett Crochet, rookie, out of Tennessee. Looks like Rick Hahn has a find here. Uh, Michael, on the south side, you're kicking us off on White Sox Weekly. You want to talk about Luis Robert at the plate? Welcome to WGN. Go ahead, Michael. Right, I just want to know because uh, he's—I think he's—he's actually ran a kind of remind me Roberto Clemente, but back in the day. But he needs to lay off that pitch. 
that that slider away, 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 away. They're gonna keep throwing it way further and further away. And I think it was the bases loaded last night. He swung at it three times in a row. We know we're near the strike zone. Yep. Now, is the hitting coach supposed to tell him that you know what they're gonna keep throwing it out there until you lay off? Yeah, I, the hitting coach being Frank Manichino, he's told him that Michael. He knows it. It's experience. It's opportunity. It's it struggles. Look, he's this month. Luis Robert in fifty four plate appearances has. Thank you for the phone call. He's got six hits. He's six for fifty four. That's a batting average of one eleven. More alarming, he struck out twenty two times. So that is a sign you are expanding the strike zone. He he struck out. He struck out at least once in every single game except. September the 12th, when the White Sox bludgeon the Tigers 14 to zip. 1, 1, 1, 1, 2, 2, 2, 3, 1, 0, 1, 1, and then 2, 2, 2. We all know that Luis Robert is immensely talented and is going to be an impact player and very well may end up in the Hall of Fame, not to make it too tall. But right now, like most young hitters, at some point in their first season, the league adjusts to you, and you are going to go into a funk, and you got to come out of it. Eloy went through it last year. I mean, Luis at one point this year, high point of his batting average, well, very, very, very early in the season. Uh, you know, he's he's up and hitting. Even even if I go to the start of August, I mean, he was in three sixty four on August the fourth, and it's just keeps on in general creeping down 298 at the end of august and then as down to september now we're down to 240 so look it's a bit to me it's a big deal you've got to you can't have both moncada and robert not going well when you go into the playoffs because you got to figure like somebody else is not going to go well too you're going to be facing great pitching so that now your lineup's getting thinner need him it'd be huge and he's completely capable of doing it if he can turn it around and get it going. 312-981-7200 if you want to jump on in here. White Sox Weekly. White Sox are in the playoffs. Who are you most happy for was a question to Rick Hahn earlier this week. We're going to play some of the GM coming on back here. And yeah, let's have that MVP conversation. If you had a vote for Tim Anderson or Jose Abreu, I'm giving you a vote. Who do you think should be the White Sox MVP? Tim versus Jose. I'll give you my thoughts on that coming back here. And White Sox fans, you can start planning your 2021 outings to the ballpark. We've got party areas of all sizes that can be perfect for you and your group. Call our Tech Sox Ticks to 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com today. The White Sox in the playoffs. Sox and Reds coming up. Darren Jackson on the show today, as is Scott Merkin, as is Andy Mazur. We're hoping to have Garrett Crochet from uh, Cincinnati as well, the Great American Ballpark. A lot to do before 5.30 on 7.20 WGN. What you call those frosted tips there at the back end of the, of the hat there? That's a frosted tip, Andy. That's right. Yeah. I was thinking about doing that look myself, but uh, I don't have any tips to frost. That's one of the worst jokes I've ever told on radio anywhere, so I apologize. I got a tip for you. Don't do it. You don't think it would look good? No. One of the highlights of last night, I was very happy to end that conversation. Andy Mazur coming up here at some point. 
can get him on before 5.30, White Sox Weekly. Frosted Tips. We were talking about Eugenio Suarez. That was another tough one last night. Eugenio. Go ahead, Curtis. Say it on on the air. Eugenio. Eugenio. Right. I mean, the one chance I get to do this, we got to have an Eugenio out there. Hell of a ball player, Eugenio, by the way. Incredibly talented himself. That was a lot of fun last night. We pulled a couple of clips from the broadcast that we'll play throughout White Sox Weekly today. Sox fans, by the way, uh, you can enter the home run sweepstakes. It's presented by Modelo for your chance to win this season. The White Sox player hits a home run on the Modelo bottle in left field from now until September 27th. You can win an autographed jersey plus one lucky grand, spam, uh, grand prize winner. He's going to win 2021 season tickets. How cool is that? All you have to do is sign up. Enter today at WhiteSox.com slash HRSweeps. If you're not watching White Sox games on TV along with listening on the radio, the left field bleachers have one section that is covered by a huge tarp of a Modelo bottle. So, And I forget who hit it this week. Somebody hit it off the Modelo bottle. And Jason Benetti went nuts. That was awesome. So that is a, that's a, that's a really cool thing and creative thing the White Sox are doing right now because, hey, we do not have fans in the bleachers, so how do you make a couple dollars and get fans involved giving away season tickets for next year? That's super cool. All right, so Rick Hahn, White Sox GM, was speaking yesterday, kind of a state of the White Sox union, lengthy conversation. We pulled some of the highlights. And I was just mentioning Garrett Crochet out of the bullpen, and this was very interesting on Rick Hahn looking back on why they picked him, number 11 overall, out of Tennessee, and it just gives you a little peek as to the way the White Sox were thinking and some optimism that they had coming into the season if everything went right. The stuff speaks for itself. We know the stuff's going to play long term. I hope he doesn't feel pressured over the next 10 days to show more than he's capable of doing because what he's capable of doing is more than enough. Uh, to succeed at the big league level. We're just going to see here, you know, uh, his composure, his ability to stand out there on the mound and, and with confidence attack big league hitters. Uh, it's not a small task. We realize that. You know, he's, he's uh, barely had the opportunity to pitch in college this season, much less face big league hitters before, or even many professional hitters, really any professional hitters outside of our own organization in Schaumburg. So we felt like this was, we're not quite sure what we're going to get, but we felt given the ability, uh, given the tools, that this was a, a worthwhile opportunity to see if he could be a potential piece for us over the next several weeks. So that's Han looking at a guy in Schaumburg and Realizing that this may help, may not, but the White Sox do have at least some luxury to figure that out right now. Up three games on Minnesota with a great chance to hopefully clinch, uh, I don't know, a couple of days before the end of the season. So maybe you can pitch in some low leverage situations. Last night was that. You're up 7-1. We don't need to worry about if you have a bad outing it'd be great if you pitched well and he did not just well he was fantastic so and it was interesting when he came off the field the entire dugout it was like he did a grand slam homer to win the game I mean people were giving him high fives left and right Ricky was patting him with a big smile same thing from even Don Cooper might have smiled um and all the players coming over to him 
normally, you know, rookie, not that into it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to instantly show you how much you matter, but with him, they did because this is. I think the White Sox players looked at a guy like, oh my god. Well, if we're, if we're going to win the World Series, we can use you. So that put a smile, I think, on a lot of guys' faces. Not that they're, they don't think that they couldn't win it without Garrett Crochet. I don't want to go down that road. But, hey, the more the merrier, and there was some serious talent. This was Rick Hahn, by the way, on how Jerry Reinsdorf and Kenny Williams reacted to clinching the postseason. It has been a minute for the White Sox since 2008. I literally had a phone call with Jerry about an hour ago about international scouting and potential signees in over the coming weeks and months uh had a conversation with kenny uh, earlier today about uh potential off-season targets and and potential fits and and how we go about uh pursuing them so uh, today the focus remains on similar to the focus as the focus has been over the last several years putting ourselves in the best position to not only open this window, but contend for championships and, and, and keep it rolling. So, uh, you know, there was a moment yesterday, certainly in the coaches' room, in the coaches' locker room post game, where Jerry was there and Kenny was there and uh, Jeremy Haber, Chris Getz, myself, and the coaches. Uh, it was a, a nice moment to take uh, take a breath and reflect and enjoy and celebrate the fact of. Uh, uh, us rising to the challenges of this season presented. But in terms of uh, satisfaction or feeling like work is done, no one from, from the top all the way through this club, that clubhouse uh, feels like there isn't more work to do to, to get us back. And, yes, that is Rick Hahn's dog in the background. Very excited, wanted to go out. Enough with the lengthy press conference, Rick Hahn. I need a little walk. But I – I think it's interesting. Yeah, we just clinched, but uh, let's talk about who's available in the offseason. Let's talk about how much money we're going to have to spend, and let's talk about being even better next year, which I think is something the White Sox are most definitely striving to be like. This is sweet, but we should be, in theory, an even better ball club next year, which should be very scary for the rest of baseball. Uh, we're going to have... Coming up here, hopefully we're going to talk to Garrett Crochet before the ball game tonight. That is that is the hope from Cincinnati. Uh, we will be talking uh, with Darren Jackson and Scott Merkin, and maybe we'll get to uh, Jason Benning. But I got a lot more with Rick Hahn uh, coming up here as well. Let, let me get uh, cut ten here, Curtis, because uh, yeah, hey, it's it's about setting up that postseason for the White Sox right now. Yeah, I don't honestly, I don't think we're going to be able to set the roster until that off day. Uh, after the end of the season. I mean, uh, again, want to see what Crochet has to offer, for example, over the course of the next 10 games. Made reference to Bummer potentially coming back, Rodon potentially coming back. Obviously, one, we fully anticipate Evan Marshall uh, coming off this IL stand next weekend and being back ready to contribute. But until, until we get through these next 10 games and see everything, much less uh, – what potential curveballs the the baseball gods have in store for us over the next ten days? Uh, I don't I don't think we'll be able to set that roster till till the until the deadline. Wheels are spinning as to who's going to be on that roster. I'll give you some thoughts on that coming on back here. Let's check news right now. Seven twenty WGN uh, playoffs. And the first one, he swings and hits a high fly ball into left center field. Luis Robert, he's there. He's got it. It's playoff time for the Chicago White Sox. You kidding me? Playoffs? Uh, I'll let you know we're all on the same page. You know, we want we want the, we want a bigger goal. Um, you know, these are just steps along the way. 
you know, we did this now, now it's on to the next. What what else can we do? So we gotta um we just gotta keep rallying around each other and keep playing, you know, have a ball game. This is White Sox Weekly. That is right. Playoffs indeed. I almost take offense to the Jim Mora playoffs question mark comment being put in all the drops here. I didn't think it was a big surprise that the White Sox were going to the playoffs this year. I expected the White Sox to be in the playoffs this year. Yet eight teams making the playoffs, and hey, the White Sox should have been one of the top eight teams. Now, I did not have them necessarily at the top of the American League. It's been an incredible year. Uh, Garrett Crochet has been waiting for an opportunity. White Sox rookie out of Tennessee, been working out at the alternate site in Schaumburg, and he made his big league debut last night. He's making his WGN radio debut right now. Garrett, this is not quite as big as last night, but welcome to WGN. We really appreciate you taking time. Congratulations on getting into a big league game and doing all that. Dream come true for you, I assume. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, and uh, thank you all for having me. So it was the highlight of last night's game, Garrett, watching you out there, and I thought it was super interesting after you go one, two, three, a couple of strikeouts, your teammates, your brand new teammates, you got a lot of attention coming back into that dugout. It must have been overwhelming everybody coming up to you. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of surprised. Uh, a lot of the guys, I'm sure, really didn't know what I brought to the table, so I'm sure they were anxious to see and uh, just glad that I was able to have a clean inning and show them that I've got what it takes. So you threw 13 pitches, nine strikes, six pitches were 100 miles an hour or more. It seemed to me and that it, the ball was just coming out easy out of your hands. It wasn't it didn't look like you were overthrowing or anything. Did you did you feel like it was a it couldn't have felt like it was a walk in the park, but it almost it, it sort of looked like it from my perspective. Uh, I mean emotions were high and juices were flowing. Uh I was kind of just trying to stay nice and easy to the plate and uh, just making sure that I, I was staying on target and hitting the ass where he was setting up, but uh I mean, I definitely was putting some effort in there, uh, I won't lie, but it, it was coming out a lot harder than I expected. Well, this is, uh, <laughs> I guess that would be expected, your your first time out there on the mound uh, in, in the big leagues. Did you expect to get an opportunity this year, Garrett? Uh, expected, no. Uh, something I was hoping for, though, for sure. Um, de- definitely something that I, I've been kind of talking to some of my prior teammates uh, with, uh, just kind of trying to speak it into existence, kind of just trying to build my confidence up and get my mental situation in a spot where I, I truly believe that I'm ready said so then if I were called upon like I was last night then I would be do you know but, that uh, definitely not, nothing I expected but something that I'm, I'm glad to take on yeah the, the White Sox general manager Rick Hahn who was a big part of you getting drafted number 11 overall he talked about hey this is a guy that we would perhaps you know be wanting to draft this year because you could help this season what did you do down at Schaumburg, do you think, that perhaps in, impressed everybody? I mean, what was, what, what's it even like, that whole situation where you're not playing games, but you're still trying to get yourself ready? You had to do something positive. Right. Uh, I was kind of just doing, kind of going about my business the way I always have. You know, I was just getting my workouts in and uh, staying in good shape. And uh, every time that I got the ball, I, I threw it as best as I could. So, I mean, overall, the the situation over there, it wasn't uh, like it is here. I mean, not throwing in competitive games over that course of time. But um, definitely, I, I felt like I, I kept myself ready while I was there. Yeah, and playing in the SEC at Tennessee, you know, that's that's uh, high-level competition. But, you know, I look at it, your freshman year, you were 5-6 and six with an ERA in the mid-fives. And then your sophomore year, it goes down, you know, a point and a half. 
Uh, and I've also looked at your velocity continues to tick up. How, how have you continued to make yourself better here, Garrett? Because, you know, you, you obviously you, you didn't come in just lighting the world on fire. And now you're in the big leagues and hopefully can, you know, set yourself up for a nice long career. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously it sounds pretty pretty silly to say it right now, but I used to be pretty bad at baseball, and I, I was kind of just a thrower and not a pitcher, and I, I wasn't really sure exactly how, how to be a pitcher. And uh, so going to college and just maturing, getting in the weight room for the first time, and uh, just building all that muscle and uh, kind of just getting the reps that I needed because I, I feel like that was truly uh, all that I did need. But, um, yeah, man, uh, the velo kind of just started to jump as I, as I matured and got some more coordination. How much weight did you put on through college? Uh, probably about thirty-five pounds. Oh I was God. pretty skinny when I went in, like one eighty-five, and I was I was six four, six five when I got there. So there was a good bit of room to grow. See, I I got to fill in on the on the radio broadcast. I'm telling everybody this, Garrett, because it was a big moment in my career last night. But I, I'm <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at you, like you're a pretty broad-shouldered guy up there. It's not just six six. <laughs> so, you're, so you're telling me you were you didn't? Uh, that, that's a lot of work. Thirty-five pounds, Garrett. Yeah, uh, I mean, I like I said, I never really got in the weight room in high school. So when I got to college, it wasn't as bad as it seems to, to put all that weight on. Uh, I kind of just started taking my eating more seriously and making sure that I was getting the calories that I needed to be able to perform at a high level. Yeah. Do you think that uh, if you hadn't missed the first three weeks of the season with some arm soreness that you'd be a White Sox right now? <laughs> uh, I don't want to speculate on that. I, I think that everything ended up exactly how it's supposed to. Yeah, and your your long term goal obviously is to be a starter. Correct? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, that's the long term goal. I mean, I'm here to do whatever the White Sox ask me to do. Yeah. Any any conversations with Coop and or Ricky to this point? Ricky looked very happy when you came in the dugout last <laughs> night, Garrett. Yeah, no, no, he was. He was happy for me, and uh, he was congratulating me as soon as I got in there. Uh, kind of trying to calm me down as my juices were still flowing when I came off the field. I thought you were sitting there like, am I? Am I? Maybe I read this wrong, but I thought you were like, do I get to go out there for another inning? Did you know you were done? <laughs> no, I, to be honest, I wasn't one hundred percent sure uh, until he had told me that they were taking me out. Uh, but I mean, I was just ready to go back out there, man. Uh, uh, my, like I said, juices were flowing, and I was excited and just to be back out there on a competitive uh, ball game. Yeah, I saw, okay, so I read it right because I'm like, he's standing there. I think he's trying to. Not campaign, but like just as open <laughs> to the fact that maybe I get to do one more inning tonight. So I, that that was that was basically it, right? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Uh, so any, I don't know when you're sitting there down in the bullpen before making your debut. Who anybody talking to you down there? Kind of you know getting you ready to make this happen. Was was there any you getting any guidance from any of the White Sox relievers? Uh, well, before Gio went in the game, he was kind of just walking me through it because, I mean, uh, I actually had my first time at a big league game two days ago, and then yesterday made my debut. So everything was coming pretty fast to me. And uh, Gio was kind of just calming me down, talking me through it, and uh, making sure that I was going at my own pace. How do you feel as far as being able to go back out there, you know, day after day right now, Garrett? Do you feel ready to do it, or do you think it's probably best for you to at least have one day in between outings? I know you don't get to make these decisions, but if they asked you, what would you say? Uh, I'm ready whenever they need me. I've been preparing in Schaumburg for this moment, and uh, it's definitely something that I've been looking forward to and an opportunity that I would like to not pass up. Uh, I'm definitely ready whenever they need me. All right, and let's before you go here, Garrett, who, get, who do you want to give perhaps some credit to today uh, on your journey? Everybody who gets to the big leagues, you got to shout out somebody that maybe was the biggest impact along the way that helped you 
sort of build that confidence that you could one day be a big leaguer? Uh, I'd say it was my strength coach at the University of Tennessee, Quentin Eberhardt. Uh, when, I, when I got there, my work ethic was pretty poor, and, and uh, my off-the-field antics were, were a little just like I, I was never locked in fully on baseball. And once I got there, Q kind of honed me back in. I mean, I, I was a young, wide-eyed kid that had just now gotten uh, my first SEC offer and committed on the spot. So, uh, I mean, I, I was kind of just pretty pretty new to the whole uh, baseball being my future deal. And, and Q kind of just reeled me in and, and uh, just kept me under control while I was at Tennessee and just making sure that he was instilling the habits in me that uh, I could use for the rest of my life. Well, when you're super talented and things tend to go your way, you might, you know, have a little fun off the field. There's there's nothing wrong with that, Garrett, but, you know, hey, if you want to be the best, I guess you got to dial it in and have that singular focus, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's not really what I was getting at. I, I just meant I, I wasn't always focused on baseball. I mean, I was kind of a video gamer and just like to do that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, okay. What, what, what was the Garrett Crochet video game look? Fortnite. I was a big Fortnite gamer. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a that's a very nice, solid, you know, hobby for a young man. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but hey, I guess you can always do more. Garrett, congrats. I, I hope you uh, continue to get opportunities here, and and hey, get on that playoff roster and see what happens here. Best of luck uh, being on the team here, going to the playoffs, and hope you guys have a deep run in your rookie year. For sure. Thank you, man. Thank you all for having me. All right. It's our pleasure. Garrett Crochet, newest White Sox, making his debut last night. And if you missed it, you are going to really, I think, enjoy watching this young man pitch. There's a lot of talent on the mound. And as he said it last night on the broadcast, everything's turning up Rick Hahn here. I mean, you look at the trades that he made to get to this point, and now Fireballer coming out of the bullpen here, who seems to be growing into himself. I really like what the White Sox have here in Garrett Crochet. I'm super excited about it if I haven't made that overly clear here in the first 45 minutes of White Sox Weekly. All right, quick timeout. We'll have Andy Mazur coming up at 4.05. We're going to hear a little bit more from Rick Hahn coming on back here with you till 5.30. White Sox pregame coming up. White Sox and the Reds on 720 WGN. He swings and hits a high fly ball into left center field. Luis Robert, he's there. He's got it. It's playoff time for the Chicago White Sox. They have qualified for the playoffs for the first time since 2008. And they get a 4-3 win here against the Minnesota Twins. And take three out of four from Minnesota. Such a long time coming for this organization. And it just got here so fast. Came into this year some key acquisitions, some free agent signings, and some guys that came out of nowhere to help them get to where they are with a 33-17 record. The White Sox have assured them a playoff spot. It did feel like it got here quick, right? On some level, it felt like forever. And then it was super fast. Were we going to have baseball? Were we not going to have baseball? What were the White Sox going to be? 1-4, 10-11. And then just never stop winning baseball games after August 15th and all of a sudden in the playoffs with a chance to win the World Series. Chance to win the World Series. Hey, Rick Hahn, cut five here, Curtis. Were you surprised about the team's slow start looking back on it right now? I don't think we had doubts at any point, whether it was when we were 10 and 11 or, or even when we started off 1 and 4 after losing both sides of that doubleheader in Cleveland. 
Uh, I don't think we ever had doubts that this team was capable of going on an extended run and that was certainly capable of competing for a postseason spot. Uh, after our first 21 games or so, when we're 10 and 11, I don't think I would have told you, you know, buckle up, we're about to make a run for the, for the number one seed in the league here. Uh, but we knew the team at least had that potential. We did, as I've said, since the start of the offseason, we really had no idea how long this sort of intermediate stage of transition was going to take. Uh, had we conceivably continued to win at that same pace and come in around 500 at the end of the season, that I don't think would have been a great shock. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that enough of the players have taken that step forward and the veterans have acclimated themselves well, and we've been able to uh, achieve at a higher level, perhaps a little more quickly than, than we anticipated. So basically everything was on the table for Rick Hahn this year. We could be 500. We could be really, really good. We could win the World Series. You didn't hear a whole lot from Rick Hahn about winning the World Series. It was more, let's temper expectations here. It's coming. We are going to get there, but let's not put the cart before the horse, the horse so to speak. And by the way, thanks again to Garrett Crochet for jumping on here. 720 WGNI did make one huge error in that interview. He's wearing 45, which was Michael Jeffrey Jordan's number with the Birmingham Barons. My favorite White Sox number, MJ. Come on. And Garrett has stolen it from Michael. I got a little beef with Garrett on that. But I didn't mention that. It's probably for the best. Anyway, I want to hear a little bit more from Rick Hahn. This was interesting. Uh, hey, Rick, White Sox in the playoffs this year, or anybody in the playoffs this year, shortened season, 60 games, does that take anything away from a team who wins the whole thing? No, I, I do think it's going to be a great testament. Whoever winds up winning this thing should take a great deal of pride in it because it, this is not – it hasn't been easy. Uh, it's taken a great deal of work from – the league, from the players' association, from the individual clubs and the staffs, much less the players and coaches, to get through these these last couple of months, much less the next next month plus, where the stakes are are higher. Uh, you know, they, I, I think I've I've said it, referenced a couple of times. A line I stole that like this: whoever wins this year doesn't deserve an asterisk next to them; they deserve a gold star next to the to, to the name for the 2020 championship because it's going to be a, a testament to not just the, the players and, and the coaches and the baseball people associated with that club, but, you know, the medical professionals, the stadium ops people, uh, everyone involved in being able to pull off this season has played a, is going to wind up playing an important role and ever winds up being a champion. And that, that's a great organizational win, and someone should take, whoever that is, hopefully Chicago White Sox should take a great deal of pride in that. I thought it was pretty interesting, too. Not an asterisk, asterisk but a gold star. Gold star. We're doing this in the middle of a pandemic. We go to the ballpark. We go home. We go back to the ballpark. We get on an airplane. We go right to the hotel. We go to the ballpark. We go to the hotel. We, we go to the ballpark. We go to the hotel. Uh, you know, not, not, uh, not standard at all. Not easy. Incredibly challenging. I agree with him. Gold star, 
Hey, Sox fans, reserve your spot to catch all the action live in 2021. Let's talk ticket plans with flexible payment options, postseason priority, and more. Call or text SOXTICS to 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com today. Hey, Rick Hahn, what did it feel like for you putting all this work in and then clinching a playoff spot? I'm not going to be able to put this into words properly. Uh, but when you take not just what this organization and its fans have been through over the last few years, but you add in just frankly the general state of the world over the last six months and the amount of sacrifice that people have gone through and the amount of effort that it's taken just to get the season to the point that we got to yesterday. Um, in some ways it, it was a, a bit overwhelming at times because it was a, a, a very bright moment, certainly not the brightest moment that we anticipate for this club or hope to see for this club over the next several months, much less the next several years, but it was a momentous event. It was a, it's something that needs to be celebrated, especially especially in this these times right now, especially in times where, you know, outside of the ballpark, people are suffering. Uh, you know, had this been a normal season and we progressed into the playoffs, there'd be an understandable great amount of rejoicing within White Sox Nation for what this team has done and where it has come from and how these fans have stuck with us throughout the this process. It is weird, right? They win or clinch a playoff spot, and it was basically like they had done nothing different than winning a regular season baseball game. Walked down in the field, little high fives, couple shakes of a water bottle, and that was it. Tim Anderson's on TV talking to Jason Benetti and Steve Stone. He's incredibly measured. We're just ready. We're ready to do it. I mean, it wasn't like your standard celebration, spray champagne on the fans. There are no fans. We're gonna what we can do spray champagne on the cardboard cutouts. It's not gonna work. And I don't know what went on in the clubhouse, but it, you know, it's, I'm sure they're being careful and trying to stay as healthy as possible. And they're all being tested, and maybe they could, you know, have some moments in there that's somewhat similar to what it would look like. But I also think it's kind of different. Eight teams in the playoffs in in each league, and so I, I don't know. It just it it felt different, and it also felt like the White Sox had their eye on something a whole lot more than just getting into the playoffs. Hey, Rick, on last one with you. How do you expect your team to respond to being in the playoffs and getting some of that playoff experience? Look, I think they've responded very well across the course of the challenges so far put in front of them, whether it was playing in front of no fans, whether or even before that, a short spring training, the uncertainty of what the year was going to look like, the complying with the more stringent protocols and how we travel and how we interact with each other now, uh, much less starting off slower than anticipated, whether it was one in four or 10 and 11 or whatever it was, and responding to that adversity and, and going on a nice roll. Yep. It was, it's been a, it has been a, a, 
an interesting journey in a very, very, very short season. We'll hear a little bit more from Rick, but coming up after 4 o'clock news, Andy Mazur will join me. We'll review last night's amazing broadcast on WGN. News coming up in two minutes and change. We're on his first batter here, and it's the sixth inning, and the White Sox are down 6-1, but throwing that hard, this could be, in theory, Andy, a game-changer out of that bullpen if he can be, if he can consistently find the strike zone. And there's strike three called at 100 miles an hour, and Brian Goodwin will be the answer to a trivia question, the first strikeout victim of Garrett Crochet. I mean, it's rare that a color commentator will jump right in there and just see your future be your future. And then the play-by-play guy just follows along beautifully, just just taking the lead. I mean, that was a seamless broadcast last night, Andy Mazur, White Sox Radio. Welcome to yeah, yeah, White Sox. Yeah, yeah. I was, good. I was incredible, wasn't I? Uh, you say you are, yes. Of course. So if you know, if you say you are, you were. Let's let's actually let's make you the teacher slash program director. We'll give you a multiple hats here. What did Carmen do well last night sitting in for DJ? What could he have done better? Andy Mazer, veteran play-by-play voice joining us right now on White Sox Weekly. Uh, Mark Carmen wanting feedback. Go ahead. So uh, Carm came prepared, almost too prepared uh, with, the, with the notepad shuffling most of the night. So that was good, though. But that was good. I mean, you, you know, you have to have some information. You have to have some things that... Uh, We'll drive a conversation, especially in a game that uh, kind of got out of hand a little early yesterday. Uh, the one thing I will tell you, and I think I told you this two or three times during the broadcast yesterday, you got to let me call the play, man. Yeah, yeah. Too much you talk let show. Me call the play. It yeah. was a talk show, but it was good. I mean, you had energy. I mean, that's you know, it's it's uh, it's it's not something you can just walk in here and do. I think it. I think I practice. Yeah, 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 for sure. And by the way, for real, th- uh, it was it was a thrill of a lifetime to be able to do it. And thank you for uh, taking me through the game and all of that. I, I do think like just having it not be in front of you the actual game that yeah. adds into something too with the talk show because it it just feels different with the TV. You know, you're not there's a little bit of a rhythm that you're missing with the television versus actually seeing the game right in front of you. You know, that's been the, the biggest thing for, for us this year. I mean, uh, but, but if it means calling baseball games as opposed to not calling baseball games, we're good with it because, you know, that means everything's good and we're playing and uh, thankfully everybody's healthy and we're, we're, we're continuing with the season, which is nice. So, But it is it does present a little bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, there's not the atmosphere. Obviously, even when the game is here, you know, there's music, there's, there's crowd noise, uh, there's actual players on the field in front of you, which is something that, you know, you'd like to be able to see with your own eyes. I mean, you saw firsthand last night that I've got one monitor here in front of me, which is the uh, the television broadcast, and then we have one to our right, which shows us the, the whole field in a smaller scale. It shows us the scoreboard. It shows me both of the bullpens. And, uh, you know, on the one particular play that, you know, it really showed that we weren't, we weren't there was the Grandall now scoring from third base. You know, I look at it out of the corner of my eye, and I see him coming down the line. I figure he's scoring because I can't look there and look at the other plays at the same time. It's just not physically possible. Um, so, you know, there, there are going to be those times and that, that happens. And, you know, all you have to do is just kind of say, okay, well, you know, this is, this is what we're, we're uh, faced with here in 2020 and, and we go on, but, uh, you know, to your point, yeah, it's a lot different because there's not anything going on in front of you. It's a, it's a dark stadium. Uh, the only lights on in the place, uh, are in your booth and, and here in this booth. And, uh, there's only a handful of people in the, in the stadium at, at one given time. So, yeah, it's going to be a little bit different, and that's uh, that's kind of how you have to go about it. So to recap, 
good energy. Good energy, good prep. Good prep. Uh, except for the, the pitcher's name for the other team. Yeah, that was that was tough. I mean, yeah. Molly? Did uh, I say Mally. it right? Mally. Mally. Remember I still I can't get it right. Mally. Rally. Mally. Rally. Mally killer. Mally. Tyler Mally. Yeah. Molly. You kept calling him Molly, and then I, you made me call him that one time because I heard you sing it all the time. Yeah, you did jump in, but I think that was about the seventh inning where I finally yeah. broke you down into a yeah, Molly. Yeah, you did. You got me once. Which I, which I felt good about. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right, and so and then a little, you know, just a little more breathing room for the play. You you got to be comfortable, I guess, with silence in a baseball broadcast. Just a little bit. You got to let it breathe out there. See, that's the key that a lot of people don't get. Um, you know that there's certain times in a ball game where you just have to kind of let the ambiance. And yeah, they're pumping crowd noise there, so it still sounds like there's people in the stands. And you know, you have to kind of let it go because it's a, it's you know, you get you got lucky yesterday. It was a two hour and fifty one minute game. We've had some here that are nine inning games that are close to four hours. And yeah, you need you need the the break. The people need the break to, from hearing you the entire time, and you just kind of regroup and you know, reset and listen to what they're pumping in over there. And you, you don't have to cover every single second of right. of every broadcast. So yeah. it's it's that, you know, and listen, it, it goes with experience and it goes with doing it. So that's the you know, it's not uh, it's not anything that I could have expected that you would have known going right into this broadcast. Yes. Right. So I you would say that I exceeded your expectations, came in below, right at right at the median level here. What would you say? I think you were uh, exceptional. You exceeded our expectations. <laughs> you showed up on time. Actually, you showed up before me. Um, I got there were, at 11 in the morning. I just you, you, were, know, you, know. you were chipper. You had your ski hat on. I mean, it was all good. I did wear the ski. It was cold out there. You you toughed it out a lot more than I did. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you, you got to tough it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, let's 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 talk about the team a little bit yep. here. We had Garrett Crochet on. We watched him last night. Uh for real, I think this is uh, it's a very interesting component here down the stretch and a, and a huge start tonight uh, for Dallas Keuchel. I, I, what are you expecting from Dallas? you think he's going to be able to step right back in here, or are they going to maybe gradually bring him and keep him on a pitch count tonight? Yeah, I think they'll probably keep an eye on him. I mean, you know, his numbers are really good, innings one through five, and then after that, uh, they're, they're not that good. Uh, second, third time around through the order, it, it becomes a little bit of an issue for, for Dallas, so... Yeah, I think you'll, you'll probably see a five-inning ball game out of him tonight. You hopefully, that, uh, hopefully he'll leave with the lead, and then you turn things over to the bullpen. Um, you know, he has been everything that we expected to see, and probably a little bit more. Uh, I didn't realize how much he had left in the tank, and and just the I, I appreciate watching him pitch because he's a guy that does know how to pitch, and he's not going to give in. He's stubborn. He would rather walk a guy that he doesn't feel comfortable facing. Uh, if if a guy doesn't swing at a couple of his pitches. Uh, and go and take his chances with the next guy. And he's such a ground ball inducer that even if he puts a guy on first, there's a pretty good chance that the next ball is going to be on the ground and you're going to be able to have a chance to turn two. So he's been great. I mean, he's been fantastic to watch. It's just fun to watch him operate out there. I like to call him Dr. Dallas Keuchel because he does operate very efficiently out there. And uh, he's, he's, he's fun to watch. Um, you know, as far as crochet goes, uh, we watched something pretty special last night. Uh, I mean, there's not too many kids that are going to be able to come out of college and have a couple of weeks with uh, with the Schaumburg organization there and uh, be able to pitch in a couple simulated games and then come into a big league game on a big league mound, no matter what the score was, and blow away big league hitters. I mean, he blew them away. <laughs> there was no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They did not know what was coming at them. They had no idea. They couldn't hit it. And, again, there's going to be teams that are going to be able to time that, uh, 101, but he looks like he has a clue as to how to pitch, too, which is amazing for uh, a kid his age. 
And with not uh, not a lot of college experience, only two full seasons really uh, at Tennessee last year, of course, getting uh, getting shut because of the the pandemic. So that was impressive. I mean, the, the demeanor he came out there with. Uh, I mean, the only thing that I think we have uh, had an issue with were his pants. Uh, but that's uh, that's really about it. The pants. That, that's a really minor complaint. He did. He was wearing floods. He or actually those wouldn't be floods. Those he, he had them rolled up a little bit. He didn't had, he? He had, yeah, they looked like floods because he rolled them up. Yeah, I don't. I should. I should have brought that up to him. People were getting on his. Well, pants. I thought that's what you're going to do. I thought you're going to have yeah, asked would be the first yeah, question. I got so excited with Garrett Crochet. Somehow I forgot about the pants last night because the okay. pitching was so good. Uh, looking Goodwin Garcia swinging and then he got the ground out uh, from Tucker Barnhart. Those were the three batters that he faced. And yes, that was the bottom of the Reds order, but uh, still very much I- impressive here. So. Question that we're going to have Darren Jackson coming on. Your partner's going to be on after 4.30 here. I'll ask you the same question I'm going to ask him here. Who who scares you the most, Andy, as far as a matchup in the wild card round? Ooh, who scares me the most? All right, well, if I'm looking at it right now, I actually have a copy of the possibilities here at this point, what the, what the matchups uh, might be at this particular point. And, uh, you know, looking through this, you never want to face someone in your own division just because of the knowledge that you, you have of that team and the, and the team, the other team has the knowledge of you as well. So, you know, a Minnesota-Cleveland matchup would not be really ideal at this point. But, you know, the one that I think everybody would want to avoid at this particular point would be the Yankees. I mean, that, that's just a, that's a juggernaut going right now. They've, they won nine straight games. They had 19 homers over three games. Luke Voigt's going out of his mind. Uh, DJ LeMay, he has been playing out of his mind as well. Uh, you know, if they get any kind of pitching, and not that they really need it, the way they're scoring runs, uh, the the Yankees might be uh, might be that team that I would say that you know first round eh, wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to face them. It would be a big stamp of we have come on now. The AL Central is ours, Minnesota slash Cleveland. If it does go that way, they end up having a division matchup, and the Sox can take them out. That would be well, that'd be great. That'd, that'd be, be awesome. You know, it would be at the ballpark because you know the first round games, I believe, are going to be at the the uh, the higher seed or whatever you want to call it, uh, their their home ballpark. So, you know, that's that's obviously uh, would be a lift, even though it's, there's no crowd here to to kind of give you that advantage. But you're you're doing your own thing, you're doing your normal routine, like you're living at home, which is great. And yeah, you have that feather in your cap of winning the division, which uh, you know these two teams that the, are chasing the White Sox right now have had the chance to do the last couple of seasons. So you definitely want to be uh, the the team that wins the division. Yeah, let's uh, let's wrap up with the playoff atmosphere because I'm hearing a whole lot about that this week with Minnesota. And yes, of mm-hmm. course, there's nobody in the ballpark other than Andy and DJ and Jason Benetti and Steve Stone and some cardboard cutouts. But somehow, some way, and even just watching it on TV or listening on the radio, you can feel some level of tension that wasn't there about I don't know two weeks ago. It's weird, but it, it but it somehow has popped up here, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, you can just tell in the demeanor of the players too. I mean, the, the way they came out, you know, you know, Eloy Jimenez pumping the fist after the uh, the big double the other day. Abreu doing the same thing when he beat out that play, and uh, a couple of nice plays on the infield as well. Where he, uh, you're seeing a lot of emotion. You're seeing a lot more emotion uh, in that series because of the the enormity of it. And you know, the, the White Sox are a team that wanted to to prove to Minnesota that yeah, we can beat you. And uh, you know, it's it's been the other way around for the last few years. And I know this team really wanted to to, to show and, and at least make a statement against the Twins in case you do face them in the playoffs to, to kind of leave that uh, in the back of their minds. 
it's not like the White Sox were hitting the heck out of the ball. They, they, I think their batting average in that series was under uh, 150. Or it might have been. They, they hit the, they hit at the right times. They had key hits. You watched Jose Abreu hustle out of the batter's box and beat out a play that uh, that tied the game and eventually led to the to the game-winning run uh, in the finale. So uh, it, it was it was very very tense in those respects. There were some close games. You never really thought that the Twins were going to be out of anything, uh, and the White Sox kept uh, kept on going and took three out of four. It was a huge series. Andy, have a great call tonight. Somehow, some way, do it without me. Carm, we're going to miss you, uh, but uh, you know we welcome back Darren Jackson with open arms. Yeah. Uh, he has reclaimed the seat that is rightfully his. He had so and much. He says that he is can't wait to see you again and uh, get out of his chair. I, I was gonna open up. It's like amazing. Darren's got stacks of mail behind the seat. I'm like, well, this would be cool. Like I could just act like I had fans and opening up mail. I didn't even know people send mail anymore. Yeah, they send mail. And don't don't go rifling through there because there could be some checks in there. Yeah, right. Missing, he's gonna know exactly. which ones are missing. Exactly right. All right. Have a great broadcast. Andy. Thanks for being on. See ya. Andy yeah. Mazer, my program director slash teacher slash broadcast partner last night. Hey, Sox fans, the uh, Chicago Sports Depot is open every Tuesday to Saturday from noon until 4 at limited capacity. You get the newest Sox gear to rep all season long. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash depot or follow at White Sox Store on Instagram. Conversation with Andy Mazur, sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun. There's breaking news uh, in baseball right now. We can talk about it coming back here, but uh, a manager in the White Sox division is retiring effective immediately today. Doesn't have a huge impact on the Sox, but uh, no, I'll save it for when we come on back here. That's a Radio T, 720 WGN. Hey, Sox fans, fan duel, power a dice sportsbook. It's America's number one sports betting app and an official sports betting partner for your Chicago White Sox. And they're officially live in Illinois. To get in on the action, download the FanDuel Par A Dice Sportsbook app now and place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the White Sox. That is right. You could have gotten some significant odds, by the way, on the White Sox winning the World Series a little bit ago. Still perhaps an investment worth making. Throw a couple dollars down there if you have the means to do it. Uh, The breaking news I'm talking about, Tigers manager Ron Gardenhire is retiring immediately. I'm not sure if he's going to manage the ball game today. I'm guessing he is not. Uh, Lloyd McClendon is stepping in. Uh, this is per report from Bob Nightingale of USA Today. Uh, he's dealing with a recent bout of food poisoning that led him to step away a week and a half early. Uh, Ron Gardner, class act, beloved by many. Of course, long time with the Twins and now with the Tigers. Really just kind of old school baseball guardy. Scott Miller, we've had on the show here, just talking about him. His tweet, one of my all-time favorites, and I know I'm not alone. Gardy was beloved as a dirt-under-the-nails baseball man with a big laugh and a human touch. All the best to him and his family. There was, back in the day, when Gardy was managing the Twins, and I would go into their clubhouse covering games when Minnesota would come in town, there was a certain feel to Minnesota that just felt different. 
Like they had just a vibe about them that they were doing things the right way, but there was sort of a old school borderline country feel, if you will. Like it just it didn't feel like the New York Yankees coming in. Like Minnesota was just a different thing, and I, they definitely were taking a cue from their manager, uh, Ron Gardner, had a tremendous, tremendous career in the dugout, and uh, best to uh, getting healthy. All right, let me go back a little bit, one more on Garrett Crochet before we get to DJ at the bottom of the hour here. We'll get you a check, get you a check of news with you till 5.30 today. Darren Jackson, Scott Merkin, both coming up here on White Sox Weekly. So the home plate umpire last night was Mark Carlson. And if you were listening to the broadcast last night, you might have heard some complaining about the home plate umpire. Might have missed a couple of calls. But that's neither here nor there. He asked somebody when Garrett Crochet was coming in the game, what do you, does this guy actually belong here? Because in the middle of a pandemic season, you're coming in in the sixth inning. It's a 7-1 ball game. Maybe they're just throwing a body out there. So he's asking, does this guy actually belong? And he says to James McCann, you think he should be here? And McCann says back to the umpire, well, you let me know after the inning. So then he goes out there, crochet, throws six pitches, 100 miles per hour or more. And he strikes out two batters. And then the umpire was like, yeah, I think this guy belongs. So it's kind of funny just from an ump. It's, it's rare that you get sort of the dialogue from umpire and catcher that doesn't normally get back to us. So I thought it was kind of like, it's just interesting that the umpire would ever say something to the catcher. Does this guy belong here? And the catcher tells him. I'm sure many times, no, this guy's terrible. He's awful. Just please give me every call we can get so we can all go home. I mean, you got to sort of partner with your umpire back there, right? Crochet, for his part, my body felt weightless. I felt like I was on top of the world and truly just living the dream. I bet. That is super, super sweet. So the other news yesterday that uh, does impact the White Sox in that bullpen is Evan Marshall, who's had a great year. 2-1, and one, ERA in the mid-twos, 29 strikeouts, 21 and two-thirds innings, opponents hitting 200 against him. Uh, going on the injured list and uh, with some shoulder issues here now. He's supposed to come back and be ready for the playoffs. Uh, but I was worried about Marshall. He has worked a ton, which uh, Rick Hahn acknowledged yesterday. That's been a key, key piece for the White Sox from the right side coming out of that bullpen. So he's going to be missed. Cody Hoyer now gets a great opportunity. And we've had Cody on the show, I think, last week. He's got nasty stuff. So there's some depth there, but you definitely, of course, want to get Marshall healthy, and hopefully it's just a little minor thing. Carlos Rodon still working his way back, left shoulder soreness, uh, and I guess dealing with some back issues also. I'm starting to lose a little bit of faith that Rodon is going to make it back and back onto that playoff roster, but Aaron Bummer is with the team in Cincinnati, and my fingers are still crossed that somehow, some way, Bummer will be able to get through his nerve issue near his biceps tendon and become a late, late, late season addition here and get on that playoff roster and see what he can do, hopefully, uh, as the White Sox progress through the playoffs, not just into the wild card round. I think most, talking to more and more White Sox people and fans and whatnot, what would you be satisfied with? It seems like everyone's saying at least win one playoff series, win the wild card round. Getting in was sweet. That's cool, but let's win around. Check the news right now, and then DJ coming up, 720 WGN. Louis 
Luis Robert. He's there. He's got it. It's playoff time for the Chicago White Sox. It's game two for the playoff-bound White Sox in Cincinnati. Mark Carmen's got the pregame at 5.30. Then it's Andy and DJ with the first pitch at 6.05. Here's the pitch. High fly ball into left center field. Tracking that is Buxton. He is racing back. Track and wall, and it is gone. Jose Abreu. Didn't miss that one. Uh, you know, he's really happy. He say uh, he finally make it. You know, he's really happy. I'm, I'm really happy. You know, to see the he work hard every single day, and now uh, he made his first appearance in playoffs. This is White Sox Weekly. Seven twenty, WGN. The man that I sat in for last night, Darren Jackson. You have a very incredibly awesome job that I really had fun sitting in with. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to be in your seat and just to see all the mail you get and the sweet picture of Ed Farmer. Farmio, we love you. <laughs> and sitting next to Andy and there was food. I really, I loved it, DJ. It was, thank you for letting me uh, be DJ for a minute. Let me tell you something. Um, I think you earned that opportunity yourself. There's nothing I had to do with it. Simple as that. I hope you had fun. That's all that matters. Unfortunately, I didn't get to tune in because I was busy still working. Yeah, back on that TV side. How'd it go with Jason? Well, he is the most entertaining guy in the world. So he made it easy and fun for me, even though it was a lopsided affair throughout that game. So it went pretty well. Thanks. Are we calling last night a letdown or are we just giving credit to the Reds? Um, I, I'm saying last night was kind of a, uh, a recovery day. How's that? After after the postseason acknowledgement, they're going to the postseason. All the guys knew it. The energy's been balled up in them. And I think they just relaxed. Simple as that. And you give them a pass. I mean, I, I, I guarantee they'll come out with a different energy today. Uh, Tim Anderson's at the top of the lineup again. I saw that already. And I think he'll be ready to come at these Cincinnati Reds a little different, even if it is going to be Trevor Bauer that they're facing. And I don't want to put too much on the twin series, but I do wonder for a team that you've been chasing for a long time and have had to sort of look up at and and take some beatings at the hand of the twins, for lack of a better way of putting it, maybe a slight changing of the guard, taking three or four with basically the division on the line this week. Is that too much? I I think everything just kind of lined up right. I think it is. Right now, a transition between the two teams because the Twins have been doing it longer. They're, you know, sometimes it's hard to sustain staying at the top at that level all the time. It doesn't mean you're not going to keep making the postseason. You're a good team. It doesn't mean you can't rebound and recoup. Because I think when I saw the Twins roster at the start of this year, I go, oh, great. They got even better. So, you know, right now you catch them at a time where you are more energetic or uh, swinging the bats better. You're kind of pitching better. Everything's coming together. It's a perfect time to go head-to-head with them, and they came in winning. They've been really hot. Still doesn't mean to me that it's, you know, we're, we're seasoned and we're going to continue to beat these guys. It's just right now it's our moment, and that was proven. I'm taking three out of four from them. Darren Jackson, White Sox Radio and TV last night with us here on 720 WGN. The ride in with DJ. Thank you for putting on White Sox Weekly. All right, let me, let's play the hits here, DJ. I know you asked Andy this the other night because I asked him the same thing last night which is, who's your White Sox MVP, Tim and or Abreu? I got his answer. What's, what's your answer on the, on the MVP vote between the two? Well, I, I, I go with Jose Abreu, and it's not a slight of, of Tim Anderson. I mean, you could really do a co-MVP, to be honest with you, but 
also the impact of Dallas Keuchel that he's meant to that that staff and just his presence of his postseason and his World Series, of, you know, victories. He's he's somebody that made a big difference. But I think the one thing you just look at, uh, he, Jose Abreu obviously putting up great numbers, Mark, but it's not just that. You know, his presence, his 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 calming demeanor around all the other players, especially the Latin players on the team. He's their leader. And for him to be their leader and then go out and do what he's doing on the field, basically a quiet leader, he doesn't have to be vocal. Um, I think that just kind of puts him over the edge. He's the guy that you put at the top of the team. Can you see, uh, and there's no there's no wrong answer there. I, I, I'm saying Tim just because when he was out, you could see how much they missed him, but if Abreu had been out for a bunch of time, they probably would have missed him too. So uh, there is no wrong answer. And bottom line for the White Sox, it's sweet that they have two guys that are in the MVP conversation. That is a win. Uh, I'm wondering, let's let's move around the the diamond here, and, and I'll stop in center field. Can we get Luis Robert going before the playoffs here? Can Is there a, I don't know, I'm sure he's working with Frank Manichino and whoever else on just the process of laying off pitches out of the zone, for lack of a better way of putting it. Can that happen in a short period of time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could definitely happen. It could happen overnight. To me. I mean, literally, it could be one at bat that clicks and gets him figured out how he can say, all right, I got to stay back. I got to let the ball get back to home plate and attack it. Because right now, you can tell when he's out and around those sliders, he just thinks he has to swing the bat. It's on, the ball is on the way to the plate in his mind. Here's a strike I'm swinging. He just, he's got to get the mind right. He has to kind of reverse back. My theory's always been, let the ball get back and jam yourself. Stop pulling off the ball because you've got to go the opposite route. If you're out in front of everything, well, back it all the way up where you jam yourself, sacrifice a few bats, and then work to the barrel from your hands. But it's hard to work from the end of the bat back to the barrel. That's that's almost impossible. So I, I, I think if he can just get that in his mind, just to sacrifice a few at-bats and reverse it, just get jammed a little bit, then he'll be fine. What would you do in right field? I mean, outside of just like I, I, I think a lot of people just say play matchups. But if you had to just pick one guy right now, like look, you can only have one of Mazzara, Engel slash Gerard Dyson. Who would you go with? Uh, I'm not answering that question. I'm not playing manager right now. Uh-uh. <laughs> nice try though. But I, I, I was but, a good. I thought I did a great job cornering you. Okay, but how? Do, I'll let you do whatever you want to do with it. From go ahead. What do you got? No. What? 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 Obviously, is that. No more Mazzara was brought in here to be the long-term right fielder, not in a setting where he's going to be 60 games and you don't have time for him to figure himself out. Now you need to make every single day a victory, aside from yesterday's game. From here on out and every game of the postseason has to be a victory. So I think you do go as a manager at this point for for the rest of this playing season with the guys that you think are going to help you win that day. I, I I really don't think it's that complicated. I don't think it's the kind of year where you can say, "Hey, we're just we know this guy's our guy. We got we got to ride him out." Not when every game means something to me. If if Angle helps you win today, you put him on the field. If Dyson, you put him on the field. If Mazar, you put him on the field. But that's something the manager knows better than all of us. Yeah. How do you look at starting or whoever starts game one of the playoffs? I mean, let's say they're playing the Indians and it's Bieber. Does it matter? Like, oh, no, we have less of a chance against Bieber, so maybe I start Keuchel in game one and hold Lucas or vice versa if you think that you're going to get a better outing from Dallas. I, how do you do that? How do, how do you think they – what conversations are having that we're not privy to? <laughs> Again, um, 
you know, these are the things you're right. We're not privy to what they're thinking, what they know, and all about the matchups, and they're projecting what their lineup will be or anything like that and who matches up better on that day, day game, night game. I mean, all these things kind of come in as factors, but um, if we just go strictly off of what we're seeing with the naked eye, Dallas Keuchel's got a two-something ERA. He's been in every game. That's your guy that you'd want to pitch every big game because of those numbers alone. So that's the way I look at it. And But I also have to project out, okay, but if we play three games, when do we get Dallas back? And when, you know, you got to think about every single scenario. But just simplifying it, Dallas Keuchel's my number one guy. Let's see what Dallas does tonight. We'll continue our conversation with DJ coming on back here. But uh, first, tickets for the Chicago White Sox Charities Car Raffle presented by Mazda of Orland Park remain on sale until September the 28th at 1 p.m., Purchase your tickets for a chance to win a Mazda CX-30s, specially designed by a White Sox fan. Visit WhiteSox.com slash SoxCar for more information. And this summer, head to your favorite store and grab some cold Modelo Especial. Perfect to enjoy while watching the White Sox. And while you're there, you can enter for a chance to win 2021 season tickets. No purchase necessary. Illinois residents 21 and over only. It ends October the 27th. Visit crownimportscontest.com for rules. Modelo Especial, imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. More with DJ coming on back here, 720 WGN. Sox fans, catch the action in 2021 from a private diamond suite. Host your closest friends and family with a customizable food and beverage menu. Call or text SoxTixt, 312-674-1000, or visit WhiteSox.com today. And our conversation with DJ right now, sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com, where they're always trying to make your car shopping fun. Darren Jackson, White Sox back in the playoffs. Who are you most happy for now that this rebuild is at least as far as getting back in the playoffs complete? Well, always Jerry, because he is the guy that backs up any particular move that takes place. But Rick Hahn himself, I mean, you know, he's the guy. He's the guy that's got to put his name on every single stamp that's put down on paper that's been approved uh, to make a move, to sign a free agent, to draft a guy, and then to push for them to get to the big leagues or hold them back. I mean, he's, he's, he's at the end, his name's attached to everything. So, Rick Hahn, congratulations, man. You finally got it there. That's what I would say. Yeah. I was talking last night about Garrett Crochet, and here's a guy that, well, we thought that this guy might be able to help us in 2020 out of the bullpen if we make the playoffs, which we held as a possibility. And then we see him last night. The dude's throwing 100, 101 miles an hour. And I'm thinking this could be a game changer come playoff time here. Lefty out of the pen that can do that. I mean, were you as excited as I was about Garrett Crochet? Or you're, probably, you're a little more measured, a little smarter, DJ. Like You have to see it more than once. But I, I was thinking this, this could be big. No, no, I was impressed. Anybody, you got to remember, I mean, I'm a big baseball fan, and I pull for these young guys, and, and I pull for the players to succeed. I mean, I'm, I'm cheering for everybody because I, I love the game of baseball, and I love the success. As long as you're playing the game right, I'm a, I'm a big fan. But, look, when he came in last night, my number one concern is, is he going to throw strikes? And when he did, I went, okay, what do we got here? It took me straight back to Chris Hill pounding the strike zone with everything that he had because you think with his delivery, Chris Hill's delivery – he would be wild. That was just not the case. And then last night, Crochet proved that he can throw strikes because 
if you look at his overall numbers at, at the college level, it's not like he was a, a low ERA ER guy. To me, he wasn't commanding the strike zone. Well, last night, if he commands the strike zone like that, look out. Well, he's arrived, and you're going to have problems. If you're at the plate and he's doing that leg kick, does that mess with you at all when you're that tall? I mean, 6'6", six, six, he's it's a big dude coming at you. It, it's not the leg kick. It's when he's letting go of that ball and it feels like he just handed it to you. That's what gets to you. You're like, wait a minute, is he putting that in my back pocket or is he actually letting that go? So it just you realize right there and he's on you and the ball's on its way. And good luck reacting in time as we saw last night. How best would you describe that to those of us who don't have all-world talent and played in the big leagues, what it's, what it's like when a fastball is coming at you at 100 miles an hour and you know you have to have everything going right to make contact. And there's, I mean, that's, that's a high level of intensity right there. Well, I, I can explain to you two different ways. One is if you're a right-handed batter, you're thankful that he's left-handed. That's number one because you feel secure that if he absolutely throws one as hard as he can, he's not going to hold on to it longer and drill you. It's going to be on the left-handed batter's box side. So that's you feel more comfortable. If you're left-handed, you automatically start flinching towards the first baseman, your body. You're kinda, you don't care. You give him the outside corner because you can't react. If he throws that up and in at you, you literally will get killed. So you kind of give with somebody that throws that hard. So for me, Number one thing, if somebody's walking up there facing somebody like that, you you say, is he right-handed or left-handed? I'm, am I right-handed, left-handed? And from there, you feel comfortable or you don't, and you always give the outside corner. But to try and actually put the bat on the ball, you literally start swinging when the ball leaves his hand. That's why Randy Johnson and all these hard, hard throwers had so many strikeouts, because if they develop a good off-speed pitch, you're always going to be out in front of it. You just can't ever accidentally run into it if you're trying to time a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. If they throw an 88-mile-an-hour slider, you may slow down and put the bat on it, but you're not going to hit it very hard. You're not really a threat. So either you time that 100-mile-an-hour fastball and be short and quick to it, or forget it. You'll never have a chance. I mean, literally the closest that I've ever gotten to experience this was at Sluggers or whatever. <laughs> it's like, I, if I'm in the extra fast, you're swinging right when that thing hits the... You better get it going there, Carmen, or else you got no chance. And uh, this, and that was 80 miles an hour, um, and maybe not even. So, okay. I don't know. I shouldn't have brought that up. That's embarrassing. But. No, that no, that's true. I mean, you, your description is right. You, you, you just said it. You better get this going. I mean... And it's coming from where you have no time, and it's just a ball shooting out of a machine. Basically, that's like facing a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. You're standing like 45 feet away from that machine, and it's on you like in 100 miles. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very similar. You just try and react as quick as possible, but you got to have momentum going forward to have any type of power and results. So there's so many things involved. Uh, but, you know, obviously major leaguers, baseball players have been doing it since they were kids, so they've kind of figured out how to get the timing down. Who on the right-handed side was the most terrifying for you to face back in the day? Um, I probably, thank goodness, it was usually only one at bat. It would have been Rob Dibble. Um, oh, wow. And, and, and he had tremendous command, but he also was, uh, you know, I knew him personally, so I felt pretty secure, but he was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So when, <laughs> when, when Dibbs was out there, if he didn't like you, you, you didn't care about the You were saying, all right, is this guy going to drill me? Or is he actually going to throw strikes? So Rob Dibble would have been the guy that probably during my era that uh, yeah, you didn't have a problem if you just made a quick out on him and went on about your way. Didn't he fire it off Doug DeCenzo's back because he bunted on him on purpose? <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, 
Yes, he did. Threw it right in his back, so he thought he could get the interference call. You know what? He's going to be safe. He's, I'm just going to drill him, and they'll say he was in the base path, and I get him. No, that didn't work out for for him at all. I think he actually got thrown out of the game. Oh man, Rob Dibble. That's a good way of putting it. Cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Uh, Hey, all right, let's wrap up on this, DJ, and I always appreciate the time and have a great broadcast tonight. And, hey, you're calling playoff baseball, which is super, super sweet. That's the best part of being on the radio side, by the way. You get to work in the playoffs, and uh, you'll be a part of the thing the whole the whole way through. Um, who do you think – Who would you, I think you talked about this on TV last night. Who's the team that you'd like to face in the wild card round here, and who are you most concerned about facing? Well, I mean, just at this moment, to me, just the trend that I see, I mean, there's two teams, there, but Houston. I mean, you don't usually say, I want to get Houston, but Verlander's out till after next year now. Their pitching staff is not as locked in as it has always been. They, you know, they don't have the Garrett. Verlander's out of there. If the worst thing you've got to worry about right now is that Grinky, okay, well, let's take our chances. And And obviously – if you're pitching well, it doesn't matter how, how they swing the bats, your pitching is going to shut them down. So I don't have a problem facing them in the first round. And it seems like right now also Toronto's struggling. So one of those two teams is not going to make me angry. I, I can handle either one. And on the concern side, is it the Yankees or Cleveland or somebody else, I guess? Well, I, I never like facing Cleveland or Minnesota because we see them a billion times a year, but I would not like to face the Yankees right now. I mean, they just, they're getting it all together. They, they're the opposite of Houston. All their players are getting healthy and playing well right now. This is not the time to have to run into that buzzsaw. If you do have to end up playing them, hey, you know what? Mono a mono, let's go. Best team wins. Well, that's what it takes to win a World Series. I guess you got to take on all comers. But uh, matchups do matter, so hopefully it'll fall the White Sox way. Darren Jackson, you're the best. Thank you so much. All right, Carm. Thank you, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. 720 WGN. It's awesome to have Darren Jackson and Andy both on the broadcast uh, today. Scott Merkin is coming up after 5 o'clock. And this feels like a big game tonight with Cincinnati. The Reds are playing great baseball. They've won six in a row. The White Sox are sitting up three games on Minnesota who are playing the Cubs. The Cubs have been playing great baseball, too. Cubs did the Sox a favor yesterday with Kyle Hendricks pitching a gem 1-0 win. Cubs did have some bad news today in their bullpen. Rowan Wick is, I guess, out for the season with an oblique strain. So that could, I guess, in theory, have an impact on this series for the White Sox. But when you're going up against Trevor Bauer, one of the best pitchers in baseball, as the Reds are pushing for the playoffs and the White Sox trying to clinch a division, it is, in essence, a playoff game tonight. And... I think right now the White Sox changed their mindset from we're in to let's dial it back up and actually get ready to build a roster and build a mindset of winning a World Series. And I keep on hearing that from all over the place, from the general manager, Rick Hahn, to, the, to Ricky Renteria, who we'll have on the pregame show coming up at 5.30. And, of course, to the players, Tim Anderson, all season long, never taking a drop of a chip off the table. So I actually look at tonight's a huge game, plus the fact that you're getting Dallas Keuchel back and he's on the mound. So super interested to see uh, what goes on in Cincinnati tonight. Check in news right now, 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. My guy Scott Merkin with me. 
Merck, uh, do you have a review of last night's broadcast? I'm making this whole show about me, so we might as well just get your take. Did, did, did you listen? I'm sorry, for... I'm sorry, but I didn't hear it. I enjoyed oh, the. Uh, I, watched, I, I covered the game from home, as you know, we're doing on the road a lot this year, and I uh, enjoyed the pairing of uh, Jason Minetti and Darren Jackson, just as I've enjoyed. Yeah, one yeah. more time with with my actual voice this time, just as I've enjoyed the pairing of Jason and Steve Stone, but. Uh, did not hear the radio. I'm sure you did a phenomenal job. I'm sure you two revolutionized radio broadcasting. Thank, thank you, Mark. I, I appreciate that. Uh, and and you're right. And and you didn't have to hear it. You just knew that that's how it would be. Yeah. So yeah, you don't need to see the sun come up to know it's there. Ex- right. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So I want to ask you the <laughs> same question, Mark. That uh, Rick Hahn was asked. I think by I want to say James Fegan. Maybe it was you. I forget. Who are you most happy for now that the White Sox have clinched and are in the playoffs, obviously still striving for a division championship, but who comes to mind for you when, you know, you've covered this team for a couple of years now, Mark, like, and I know you're trying to, you know, you're a professional, but there's got to be some guys you're happy for too. Well, I think, I mean, it, it's, it's hard to pick one. It was good that Rick had the question and he did. He picked, I think he said Ricky and uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, of course, and they would be at the top of the list. You know, I mean, obviously, Jerry greenlighted the the rebuild and they stuck with it and they've done a great job with it. And then they added on, you know, a, a lot of key veteran components this year. I mean, people are talking about what they're going to do next off season. And I'm looking at the team and they were, you know, I mean, there's always room to improve, right? Even if you win the world series, there's room to improve, but there's not a lot of, you know, vacant spots for them in this lineup. If things, you know, can you progressing is the way they have this year. But I would say if you just, you know, Jerry, Rick, Ricky Renteria, Kenny Williams, you know, of course, they were all part of the, you know, Kenny and Rick were part of the first World Series, as of course was Jerry. I think you got to go with Jose Abreu, though, right? I mean, Jose Abreu, you know, has been through six years of losing with this team and been, you know, really the at the forefront of being the leader in that clubhouse. He's kind of shepherded some young players through the rebuild. And, you know, as Rick Hahn joked last year, kind of a revolutionized negotiating when he said, you know, that he was – Coming back, there was, you know, he was so determined to come back this next year that he would sign himself back. He knew how good this team was going to be in the future. And then, of course, Jerry Reinsdorf added that Jose Abreu will always be a White Sox. So, you know, that was pretty much a done deal before it started. But, yeah, I think you just got to give, you know, you got to feel good for him just because he wanted to come back. He knew it was coming. You know, I suppose he could have said, hey, this has been six great years, but I'm going to see what's out there for me. And plus, he's having, you know, arguably – the best year of his career or certainly on par with what his rookie year was. Although I, I would argue with the people who were telling me earlier in the year that he had faced regression over the last couple of years. You know, the only year that I've seen him that was a little down numbers wise was in 2018. And that was because, you know, in August and September, he was dealing with some physical things and, you know, really didn't play a lot in September of that year. So I, I guess, you know, to make a long answer short at this point, Jose Abreu would be my answer. And it's a great answer. There's, Loyalty, performance, class, all of it. Jose Abreu has been everything and more uh, for the White Sox for a long, long time. It's interesting, though, when you tee up, not a lot of room for improvement. And you can see Ricky this week playing around with right field. Gerard Dyson getting some opportunities. Nomar was in there last night. How do you see this playing out, Mark, if Nomar doesn't go on some major run here in the last however many days we got left here? What is it now? Eight days. Uh, you know, that's a big question mark going to the playoffs. Who's going to play right field? Yeah, you know, just looking long-term first, you know, they still have what contractual control of Nomar next year. And 
I really thought when they got him back, you know, having watched him a little bit with Texas against the White Sox, I really thought, you know, that that was a good deal for them and that he was going to kind of take off with the White Sox, especially the way, you know, kind of the ball travels to right center and right at guaranteed rate when the, when the weather's good. And for whatever reason, it has just not been a good season for him. You know, I mean, the man is not, you know, he's been a consistent 20 home run producer and every year he's been in the majors, which is, this is his fifth and has not hit one this year. So in terms of this year, I mean, I, you know, I think you just, maybe you play matchups, you know, I mean, maybe you go, you know, you go angle against lefty and Mazzara against righty and just hope that Mazzara gives you good at bats, which he has done at times this year. You know, I mean, that, that is one thing is that he has produced some decent at bats. It's just, there's been no, absolutely no power, you know, and, and he's struggled since he, you know, was sick at the beginning of the season and then Dyson, you know, gave him a nice little boost the other day when he played against uh, in the in the clinching game, right, where he had two hits and two stolen bases. So again, you know what you get with him. So there's there's a lot of options to go with there. And let's face it, you know, none of the guys you put in there, whether it's Engel, Mazzara, or Dyson, certainly have to carry the lineup, right? So I mean, if they just can contribute whatever they can contribute game to game, then it works for you. And then I guess you know, and after the season, you kind of reevaluate, and that may be one of the areas where they decide, okay, we got to you know go out and improve because I'm not sure if anyone in the minor league system is ready to kind of step up and take that spot right now. 720 WGN, my guy Scott Merkin with me. Merk, uh, are you worried about Luis Robert? Came up last night, huge situation, bases loaded. If the White Sox were going to get back in the game, that was really their opportunity. Three sliders off the plate, swung at all of them. Six for his last, what is it now, 52 and I'm not saying long-term, because who would be worried about Luis Robert long-term, but short-term, you're trying to win a World Series. Yeah, I would say you'd have to be worried in the sense, and not that he doesn't have the talent or the knowledge or the you know the wherewithal to get out of this slump, but I think you need him and Yon Moncada is another one. You know, now Yon obviously dealt with the COVID positive test and the intake process and told us a couple weeks ago that even, you know, well past the point where he had returned, he still was not feeling exactly right with himself. So this that may be something he battles throughout this season, you know. And but I mean, I think you need contributions from both of them to be successful in the postseason and ultimately successful long term. I'm not saying that you know if Robert and Moncada struggle, you're going to lose two games in the wild card series and be done by a week from Thursday. I'm just saying I think those are I know those are key components if you're going to keep moving forward. But you know I think he understands what he's doing and it's just. He's pressing a little bit now. You know, it, it makes sense. He's a young guy. And, the, the, again, the one thing for him, too, is that the good thing is that he's not – you know, we're talking about Abreu. When Abreu was struggling kind of in years past, that was kind of the main offensive weapon, right? You had other guys who could hit, but not like – and, you know, Tim Anderson obviously won the batting title last year, so he's a great offensive force, too. But there, it wasn't a deep lineup. Let's put it that way. How that, That's better to say. And now you are pretty deep. So, I mean, very deep, actually. So, if Robert and Moncada struggle a little bit, there's other guys who can pick him up. But I think it's – obviously it's better for the White Sox to have them contributing on a regular basis to give them a chance to go far. It is interesting. Yeah, it's okay. Moncada, don't need him. Lineup's deep. Robert, struggle. Lineup's deep. Nomar Mazzara, hasn't hit a homer all year. That's okay. Lineup's deep. And yeah, but now, yeah, now we're down to six guys. So you, you keep, you, you keep I, I guess if I keep ruling uh, all these guys out and say, well, the lineup's deep, eventually you're going to need some of them to step up, right? Yeah, but it's it's still with those, with its, you look, you've got an MVP candidate, one in Tim Anderson, you got MVP candidate 1A in Jose Abreu, you could probably flip that, flip that around. Yep. Uh, so you got Eloy coming up with big hits. Let me ask you an Eloy question, or just an observation. 
he was having the time of his life when Luis Robert did the belly flop into third base. And every time we see Eloy in the dugout, he's smiling and just so likable, right? And just a gregarious fellow. But then you see him come through to put the Sox ahead in the game that ultimately clinches a playoff spot against the Twins on Thursday. And he pumps his fist out at second base. And I thought that level of intensity and and just how much he was in it at that moment, it stood out to me, Mark, like, oh, it's not just jovial Eloy. There is that huge fire on display right in front of you. Did you notice that at all? Yeah, I did. I noticed it more after the fact as opposed to, like, right in the moment. I think I was kind of watching the, the where the ball was going and then saw on the broadcast that what he had done. But, I mean, first of all, we all should enjoy our jobs every day as much as Eloy Jimenez does, right? I mean, he obviously just has a blast doing what he's doing, and, and he's very good at what he's doing. But he's a very focused kid. I mean, he, he has the potential to be probably one of the better players with the bat in all of baseball. And I'm not just saying in the American League or on the White Sox, like legitimately all of baseball. And I think, you know, the team that had him before this, the Cubs, understood that too, that this is a great kid with great offensive prowess and great focus, you know, and he has come up with a lot of big hits for the Sox, and I expect him to come up with a lot more before his career is done long, long, long in the future. But I think he's one of the key guys, you know, going into the postseason, especially in the middle of that lineup with him and Abreu and Grandal and, of course, Tim Anderson, you know, setting the table and having a, a tremendous year. Yeah, I mean, he, he enjoys baseball, but he, he knows the job that's at hand as well. I want to focus on one thing from last night, 7-1 loss to the Reds, but I'm Mr. Positive, Merck, as I've been saying. I thought the White Sox were going to go 59-1 and after they lost opening day. Okay, fine, I didn't think that, but I... <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think about it. This year started with the first pitch of the season was a home run, right? Max Kepler literally, legitimately, and literally hit the first pitch from Giolito for a home run, I believe. So it was, it was all uphill from there, pretty much. Yeah, and one at, well, and one and four and ten and eleven. But you know, just getting back to last night, Garrett Crochet comes in, and it didn't matter to last night, but it might matter come playoff time. That's a real interesting piece of lefty fireballer, 100, 101 miles an hour, six pitches, 100, 100, six pitches, 100 miles an hour or more. I think this could be a game changer here. Merck, am I going too far? I mean, I think it was a great first performance, but I think it has the potential to be so, you know, I would, I, again, I don't want to jump off one performance, but I would be surprised if he's not added to the playoff roster now just because of what he gives you. And let's let's be realistic, you know, I don't think he's going to appear like back-to-back games or throw multiple innings. I think it's going to be a very controlled usage because the young man had pitched, what, three and a third innings in a game situation, not counting the Schaumburg, you know, live BPs and simulated games and whatever, else, you know, inter-squad games they had out there. He pitched three and a third innings this year for Tennessee before the pandemic shut down the season. But, you know, there's not going to be a lot of tape on the guy. Like, it was, it was interesting. If you looked at a couple of those, I think it was Garcia, who was the second strikeout, and he looked back at him as he was walking away from home plate after he struck him out, kind of like, who the heck is this? What's this about? You know, like, I didn't see him on the scouting report. What's going on here? And really, there's no, until last night, there was no real video on him. And even, the, like, I, I think he's got, like, a little bit of a Billy Wagner delivery out there, although he's, what, 6'6", six, six, and Wagner was a little smaller, but... And he has the same fastball. So, I mean, yes, it's, it's certainly, you know, much like Brandon Finnegan did, he was the last guy to come up from, uh, from the draft class of that same year with the Royals. Much as he did, you know, I think he could be a real impact guy. Late in the, I, again, I don't think he's going to be, you know, Bobby Jenks and closing out the World Series championship game. <laughs> now watch, he does. We'll have to revisit that if he does. But, 
I think he's a guy that you can really put in key situations late if you need, you know, a couple of hitters. I mean, three, obviously, at the minimum or the end of the inning. That can really help out. But, yeah, you can't, you can't coach 101 miles an hour, right? That's just an innate ability, and it was pretty impressive to watch last night for sure. It was, it was definitely the highlight of the game, and I think kind of overran, you know, the, the bad loss. Not, not a bad loss, but a bad game for them, which hasn't happened very often, especially, like you said, since that 10-11 start. Yeah. Scott Merkin, MLB.com. Merk, let's wrap up with this. Everyone's having the conversation, so we might as well have it too. Who's your MVP, Tim Anderson versus Jose Abreu? Oh, man, you know, I did another interview about that today, and I have to defer because I have that vote this year. Oh, In the wow. BBWAA, I have the MVP vote. Wow. And I probably, I probably shouldn't say until I actually cast the ballot. So wow. I, I think there are, there are a lot of really worthy candidates, um, and I think two of them reside in White Sox uniforms or play in White Sox uniforms. But I can't really say. I'll turn it to you. Who do you think should be the MVP out of the, out of the out of those two? First of all, I love that Mark is on the front lines. Congratulations! That's super cool. I actually feel honored to be talking to you right now. Somebody who has an impactful vote in the process. Yeah, you caught me at the right. Usually, I have you go through my representative to do the interview, but I just happened to be near the phone when you called today. So, uh, see, I, I I appreciate that, Mark. Bending the rules for me. That's big too. It's a tough call. To me, Tim gets a slight edge because when he was out, the White Sox were sideways, and we've seen his impact at the top of the lineup. He's certainly capable with a red-hot week here of winning another batting title. He plays a more premium position. He's This is kind of splitting hairs here, but his leadership in that locker room uh, has it kind of you know being the face of the franchise, if you will. I think that counts for something. So I'm probably giving it to Tim, but I wouldn't have any problem with going the other way with Abreu. It's 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 yeah. uh, it's it's not something that I'd be like, how could you possibly give it to Jose Abreu? But I think right, I'd vote for right. Tim. Makes sense. I took notes on all that stuff <laughs> and put it into my voting when the, when the time comes for sure. No, I, I think you know they both had remarkable seasons, and I, I think you know just taking the voting away. I mean, Jose Abreu, you know, the, the August he had was a big contribution to the August the White Sox had. And as you said, Tim is a force. Tim makes it. You, we saw it. I think you saw it even more so last year, you know, where people forget that this team, you know, wasn't a juggernaut, but this team at the All-Star break was, you know, right around 500. I think two under when they beat the Cubs in the last game of the first half. And Tim had just gone down with that ankle injury. And with him out, and then you added in, I think Aloy was hurt near the start of the second half. They kind of faded away at that point. But, you know, he really does make a difference. You know, I mean, even last night, you see a difference with him out of the lineup. So, again, Abreu, Anderson, Shane Bieber, I think, has been unbelievable for Cleveland. And, you know, it's rare when a pitcher gets in the MVP talk, but I think he should be in there. Nelson Cruz, Mike Trout, of course. You just you start every year with your ballot, which is Mike Trout on there somewhere, right, and just figure out where, where he belongs. But again, I can't, I'm not going to pick at this point, but I think there's a lot of really strong candidates in the AL. Let's wrap up with this, then I'll give you a different one. Have you identified one team that you think would be less than ideal for the White Sox to face in the opening round of the playoffs? Well, you know, I, I think the Yankees are a team that no one wants to face. You know, people, I think, were kind of piling on the Yankees when they were down around 500, but much like a lot of teams, you know, there's been no team, I think, that's been you know, strictly healthy in this kind of crazy 2020 season. But, you know, that's a really good team. And there's a reason that a lot of people thought, you know, when they added Garrett Cole to what, you know, a 100-win team last year, right, that this was going to be the – before the pandemic set in, that this was going to be the team to beat. And they're playing that way now. So I really think that's a team. But, you know, it's interesting to me. I thought – 
Toronto would be a good matchup last night. And I was listening to the game, and DJ, you know, Darren Jackson, thought that wouldn't be a good matchup because of the fact that they're kind of – it's the same principle that Yasmani Grandal was talking about the other day. One of the reporters asked him, like, what was a trait that could really – you know, I, I don't know if the exact word surprise people that push the Sox in the postseason, and he said their youth, you know, because it's unpredictable. So they could be – you know, they could – step up and be really great and the same with Toronto and that's I think was Darren Jackson's point in the broadcast last night but I would still say you know the Yankees and of course Cleveland you know has great pitching but again if you if you score a few runs on them you seem to have a pretty good chance to win because their offense just is is very challenged but they have phenomenal pitching you know Plesak has been unreal when he's been out there Bieber is a Cy Young favorite and MVP candidate so I think there's gonna be a lot of good matchups in both leagues in this you know these with these extra playoff teams this year. 